0: Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Okay, well good morning. Great to see everybody this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, um, my name is Samuel and stick around afterwards. I really would just love the chance to meet you, get to shake your hand and learn your name. And You picked a great week to be here, so this is not a mistake. This is an inflatable hot tub, and it is what we use for baptisms. And so what we're going to be doing in just a minute is we've got several people who are going to follow the Lord in baptism. And and baptism really is, it's just obeying what Scripture says to do. It says in Acts chapter 2, Which is Acts is really Acts of the Disciple, Acts of the Apostles, it's really the start or the birth of the church, an example of what what we are to follow, really. He says this in verse 37. It says, Peter preached a message, and it says that Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, They said, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you should repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, repent and be baptized. So repent is step one, step two is baptism, and so that's what's going to happen. It's not step one, it's step two. So what we do is something that we call a believer's baptism. What we see in Scripture is that when somebody believes, then they're baptized. And I know that there's churches and people who come out of traditions and and things where they have been baptized as a child. And I think it's wonderful that your parents took that step and took some initiative and wanted you to dedicate you and wanted you to be raised in a godly environment and, and did that for you. But what we see in the Bible is a believer's baptism, that you believe, and because you understand that, you're then baptized. And so that's, that is exactly what we do. And what they, it says here happened in Acts is it says that they baptized about 3,000 people and they were added to the church that day. They were like, what? This is what I do? I'll do it. And they were added to the church that day. And lucky for us, it's not, it's not the water that's special and it's not where you get baptized. That can be a story and that can be fun. Um, a... Man came one day, I was at, I was at uh, a church that I was on staff at, and the man shows up and he says, I need to get baptized. And I'm like, okay, we're doing them at church in a couple of weeks. And he goes, nope. He's like, I am enlisted. And he's like, I am leaving tomorrow. I need to get baptized today. And I'm like, all right. Um, and, and I asked the guys, I'm like, how long would it take to fill the baptismal? Can we, do th- can we get this thing filled up up here? And they're like, it's broken. And I'm like, well, it's January. This is fun. And it, was, uh, it wasn't super. It was one of those Michigan Januaries. And I told the guy, I said, well, the, the baptismal is broken right now. And he's like, I need to get baptized. I'm like, I will baptize you. And he goes, there's, there, there's, a, there's a pond out, out back. Can, we, can I get baptized in the pond? And I go, Absolutely. I'm like, I'm in. If we need to just break a little ice off, whatever we need to do. And he's like, I want to get baptized. I said, sounds good. I said, let me make one phone call before we go in the swamp, because it's not a pond, it's a swamp. I said, let me make one phone call. I called up a guy and I said, hey, do you happen to know of somebody who's got like a hot tub, a pool, anything that we could use? I said, I got somebody who's, who's shipping out. He's joined the military, but he wants to follow in baptism. He's like, I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to do it. And he's, he just wants to get it done. And the guy's like, I don't actually drain my pool. It's in ground. And he's like, you could come. You, it's cold. I said, sounds good. So we got in our car and we drove over. It was about a mile from the church, mile and a half, and kind of peeled back. The, he had already peeled back the cover and the ice that was on it, little bits of that. And we jumped in and we just baptized him right then and there. And he's like, I want to do this because this is the next step for a believer. And I know it can be easy to, to overstep because it, it's not hard, but it's the next step. It is a sign, a declaration for every believer. The Bible says that it's through baptism that we identify with Christ. We identify with His burial and resurrection. The baptism is a picture of us dying to our old way and coming up new. That we bury our old life, our old way of living, and we come up new. We identify with Christ through baptism. So it's a symbol, and a symbol means what we give it. And so what we do is there's not an age that we say, okay, here at Life West, you have to be, you know, 14 and three days to get baptized, and until you are, no. So what, we'll, what you're going to see today is you're going to see some children getting baptized. And what we tell parents and kids is this, if they understand what baptism means and you as a parent are like, they're ready, they understand what this symbol means, then absolutely, we're gonna, we're, we would love that. Let's go ahead and let's get them baptized. Absolutely, let them follow. There, there is no junior Holy Spirit. I think often we put our children's lives on hold and we're like, when you're older, you'll serve God, but right now, brush your teeth and go to school. And God's like, I'll use them right now. Yeah. He's, not, he's, he's not waiting for them. I think most often, it's us. And then we don't even let them grow up and we say, well, you can serve God after college, but for now, just go. And it's like, no, 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 wherever you are, God wants to serve you, wants to use you right now. And you can serve him wherever you are wherever you are. And so I absolutely love it when children talk to their parents and they decide, I want to be baptized. And parents are like, yes, and so that's what you're going to see. And the next thing that might be a little bit different than what you're used to besides the inflatable hot tub is I'm not going to be in the tub. And here's the thing. The Bible says that you and I, that we're all priests. That It's not special that you you need this person on this day at this time. You want to go to Israel and get baptized in the Jordan River where Jesus was? That's great. But you don't need that. You can get baptized wherever and anywhere. There's a count in Acts and an Ethiopian gives his heart to the Lord, and the Bible says that he looked, saw some water, and said, what's stopping me from getting baptized right now? And he did one of those clothes on or off. We don't have that full account exactly, but I'm assuming on. When I imagine it, he's fully dressed. And they just walk over and he gets baptized right then and there. But this is the second step for every believer. Now what it's not, what it's not is, it's not an act of salvation. It's not an act of salvation. When Jesus is hanging on the cross. The Bible says that there was a thief on each side of him also, that there was three people being crucified at the same time. And the thieves are on the cross mocking Jesus. Well, really, it was one of them. But the other one looks over at his, I assume, friend and says, you and I deserve our punishment, but he doesn't. How dare you mock him? And Jesus from the cross, turns to a thief who's hanging on the cross and says, today, you will be with me in paradise. It's not an act of salvation. If it was, Jesus would have turned and said, I'm sorry, but you're not baptized. Somebody take him down quick before you... No, no, none of that. God, let it rain. None of that. None of that. It's not an act of salvation, but it's obedience after salvation to what God has called each and every one of us to do. Even the charge that he gives his disciples, this isn't a one and done. Matthew 28, 19, therefore, and this is read in your Bibles, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's like, this is how it's going to go. This is what we're going to do. So that's what we do. And that's why we do baptisms. And the next thing that you're going to see that might be a little bit different than what you're used to is we go through all the trouble of bringing this in, blowing it up, and maybe re-blowing it up, and filling it with water so that we can submerge. Because what we see in Scripture is the Bible says that when Jesus was baptized, He came up out of the water. Somebody didn't walk by with a glass of water and, like, sprinkle it on them. I mean, it sounds fun, and if you need a bath, that's great, a little shower, something. But that's not what we see in Scripture. And so what we want to do is we want to obey and follow what Scripture says to do, which is, number one, believe. And after you've believed, your next step is baptism. And what we're going to do with baptism is when you understand what that symbol means, that it means that you have identified with Christ, That your old way of living, you are going to die to it, raised again through the power and resurrection of Jesus, and you're going to live that new life, then you're ready to be baptized. And maybe it's going to be by your mom, dad, aunt, uncle, friend, small group leader, whatever it is, it's a public declaration of faith where you choose to be submerged in some water and raised anew, identifying with Christ. So that's what we're going to see this morning. We'll continue our message all right, let's just give them one big round of applause. It's so exciting. So glad. Thank you, guys. I absolutely love it, and I love the water and the mess and the fun because it just makes me think kids, because that's what they are. They're water and they're mess and they're fun. Come on. Well, we're, we're starting a brand new series today called Truth Be Told, and really we're looking at what science, history, really have to say about the Bible. Um, let, me, let me just say it this way, I don't need science and history to prove the Bible, we walk by faith and not by sight, and I believe it because it's true and I've seen it in my life. I have my story, I know it's true, but it's fun when you look and see how history, how archaeology, and what they find lines up with what the Bible's been saying for thousands of years. And you're like, yep, well, that, that lines up. I mean, I don't, I don't really enjoy reading. Raise your hand if you love to read. <laughs> okay, put them down. Okay, raise your hand if you're like, I read, but I just, I want what's in the book. That's me. I read because I want what's in the book. I don't enjoy it. Raise your hand if you haven't touched a book and like, you're like, book, what is it? you're like, I still don't even know. I'm so confused. My hand's not going up. I, I don't enjoy reading, but I read because I want what's in the books. And I love that I can listen now as well, and they will read me the books. Like, that's, that's just, that, that is one of my favorites. But I read because I want what's in the book. Um, now, really the only book that I'll read for fun is I'll, I will read some Westerns. I don't know if anybody knows or has heard of uh, a Louis Lemoore Western. Anybody? Come on. Those are my favorite. Okay. We grew up on those and my dad used to call them non-electric movies. We would sit down and mom would start reading and whether we were in the car or at home or whatever. And uh, he has so many books, but the, I, I bet we have at home every single Louis Lemoore Western that he ever wrote. And so we've been through many of those, but I don't read those I do enjoy. But other than that, it's because I want what's in it. And among those books is the Bible. And I don't like reading. I do it. I'm not like Becca. I think I've read 15 books this year so far. And she counted yesterday and it was 35. And she reads different books at the same time. And I'm like, oh my goodness, no. I'm confused in what page I'm on. And she's like, I don't know which one was this. And No, no, no. That's not me. But you want to know what I do? Is I read the, My regular practice is to read the Bible every day, because it's not like every other book. It's not like every other book. A few fun things when it comes to the Bible. George Washington, in talking about the Bible, said this, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and without the Bible. John Quincy, John Quincy Adams, he was our sixth president He said, no book of the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. I like what he said. This is a a little blurb from John Quincy Adams' journal, September 26, 1810. He wrote in his diary, he says, I have made it a practice for several years to read the Bible through in the course of every year. I usually devote to this reading the first hour after I rise every morning, and he says, "I have this morning commenced it anew, and this time, from or excuse me, with the Ulster's French translation." He's like, "I'm at it again, and here I go." It's it's not like any other book. Now, they estimate that there is in circulation right now six billion Bibles. There's a little over 7 billion people on the planet, 6 billion Bibles. It is the best-selling book ever, and how, what would be your guess on, on how many Bibles sell a year? Somebody shout out a number. Anybody have a guess? 12 million. Anybody else? It's higher. 30 million. Thank you, Hunter. Anybody else? 300 million, a little high. They estimate 100 million copies are sold every single year. There's something about the Bible. There's something about the Bible. Now, the Bible was written by dozens of authors over 10, 15 decades, really centuries, excuse me, on three continents, but here's the thing, it was authored by one, as has one author, one author. And the reason why we say that is Exodus 24.4 says this, then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. And this is what we believe, and this is what I believe when it comes to the Bible is this, that God wrote the Bible through people. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God that God inspired it, and then they wrote it down. Same thing in 2 Peter 1:21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I don't need science. I don't need archaeology. I don't need history to prove the Bible. We live by faith. But there's some really fun stuff and when we watch how so much of it lines up. If you've read the Bible before, you have probably come across the character named David. He's, he's really prominent in the Old Testament, and he's in the lineage of Jesus in the New Testament. So you more than likely, you've come across his name. Doing a, little, a quick little search for David in the Bible and trying to see how many times he's in there, my quick little search in my program said there's 1,280 verses in the Bible that mention David. And so that's in the Bible, and that's, that's great. But something that's a little bit interesting is the fact that, as we look back, we don't find any writings that mention King David in the Bible. He was one of Israel's first kings, and it's kind of one of those like, well, that's weird. Wouldn't we have some proof that he was here? But really, number one is it's, it's, it's really not that weird because King David ruled and lived over 3,000 years ago. And if you write something down, how long does it last on paper? Our Constitution is kept in a special sealed box with argon gas or whatever type of gas in there because air is too much and it's got special plates all the way around it to stop and to filter out the bad light that would deteriorate the ink and make it. I don't think they did that 3,000 years ago. Plastic. Plastic biodegrades, they say, about 450 years in the ocean and even longer if it's underground without the sun. So 3,000 years. It's not super odd that we do not have a whole lot when it comes to King David. But one of the things that we do see, and I think is really fun when it comes to this, has to do with a verse in the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6. And it says this, David then led his men to Jerusalem. Now, we're picking up the story. David, at this point, has now been crowned king of Israel. Now, Israel doesn't have everything it's supposed to yet, and so he's like, okay, I got to go take some. We're going to go fight, and we're going to take back Jerusalem, and it says this. They're going to go fight. He led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. And the Jebusites taunted David, saying, you'll never get in here. Even the blind and lame could keep you out, for the Jebusites thought that they were safe. But David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. And on that day of the attack, David said to his troops, I hate those lame, blind Jebusites. Whoever attacks them should strike by going into the city through the water tunnel. Kind of just a weird thing to throw in there. Oh, hey, by the way, we're going to attack, but whoever goes in the city should go in through the water tunnel. It's just one of those, like, you read through it, and you just fly right by it. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Israel. And one of our stops, we're on this, like, tour bus, and our guide gets off, and I'm like, oh, it's a bathroom break. I'm like, again? We take so many bathroom breaks. And, And we run over to a small spring, and he's like, I want to talk to you about King David, and go ahead and show up this picture here. And one of the things that we see, in just a second we'll see, but they're digging around, and they're doing, excavating, and they're working throughout Israel, and what they found was this. What they found was a spring. Outside of old Jerusalem, they say there's where the, Jeru- the old Jerusalem's walls were. There's a spring outside of that, and we were standing at that spring. And he's like, "Now today we can't see it, but what there is on this spring is there's there's a tunnel that actually takes that spring from outside the city and brings the water underneath the city, underneath the wall. And there's bunches and bunches of tunnels underneath Israel." Hezekiah's tunnels and others, and I've been in them. And you walk through these tunnels, and then you come to a shaft, and you look down the shaft, and what you see is the water that comes from the spring on the outside of the city that comes in, and there they would have been able to lower down a bucket to get water. And in that way, even if the city was under siege, they had a water supply. And there's more than one of these. I don't need this. My faith rests in God what He's done for me. I know that the Bible works. It's true. But it's fun that history, there. just, just a, a fun little verse that you'd skip right over, and then as they're excavating and digging and finding things in Israel, like, wait a second, that lines up with what the Bible says. And so, what is commonly thought is, well, David grew up in this area, and he was a shepherd, so he probably played here or knew, or maybe he was looking for one of his sheep. And then during a drought, the sheep went in and he's like, oh yeah, or maybe he'd lowered water or he knew. And they're not really sure. And then they talk about how far it is and how, he, how they would have had to swim through the shaft and then climb up. And like, it would have been something. And David's like, I'll make whoever can do this the leader of my army. He's like, it wasn't a small task. It's like David probably would have known about it. We don't really know that for sure. We're like, oh. And man, is it fun when you're just like, well, that just lines up with what the Bible says. And you know, there really wasn't much written that really contained or said anything about David. That is until 1993. Until 1993, there was no, no historical anything that said anything about King David, who the Bible touts as Israel's greatest king, and again, is in the lineage of Jesus, our Savior. And they're like, isn't that a little odd? And again, I don't need any of this to believe, but it's fun because in 1993, a stone was found, a piece of a broken monument or style. It was found in the ruins of a wall at Tel Dan, the site of an ancient city in northern Israel near the Syrian border at one of those sources of... of the Jordan River, and here's a picture of it, and the fragment is a stone from what they believe would have been 9th century B.C. The inscriptions that you can see on it are in Aramaic, and here it says, House of David, King Israel, and as they translated it, what they believe it was was a monument put up after a battle that their minions had won, and they're like, now this is when we believe that it is, and it lines up with the Bible, and oh, look at this. I don't need that, but it's fun it's fun to see how archaeology and as they're digging things up, they're like, well, that proves what the Bible says too. On, on that trip that we uh, took to Israel, and we'd love to go again, and we were, we're actually contemplating a trip and trying and, and offering something to say, hey we're going to go over there together as a church, but we are it, it's just still kind of up in the air. We might be done with COVID, but not everybody is and like what it would look like to go there, but if it does happen, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll make sure that you guys know about it. But one of the things I loved about the trip wasn't any of the specific sites that we went to. In my opinion, they were very, very commercialized, and I didn't really enjoy that. But one of the things that I enjoyed the most about the trip was as we're driving along and in our bus and we're going on, and our, our, our tour guide starts laughing, and I'm like, What's, what are we laughing about? And he's like, one of the problems that is run into as the city is developing, is when new construction, people want to start new construction, they get a permit, and they begin to dig down for a foundation. And he says, so often it gets halted because they find some archaeological anything. They find stuff, and they're like, wait, and then, and then they have to stop. And so he goes, so much is being lost because the construction companies don't want to stop and let some archaeological, ar- What's the word? <laughs> Digger, person, there we go. Come in and start moving things around and trying to uncover what was here. He's like, So, what has happened is there's a whole society that's, that pays people to be at these job sites and to supervise and try to preserve what is found and make sure that they're not trying to hide it. He says, The thing that's found the most often and that we're not losing, he says, are old coins. And he hauled out a few old coins and he said, look at these. He says, these, when they find, they end up on the black market and then they're sold and they're passed around. But that was, that was almost the, the most fun to me because they're finding more and more things and how it just keeps lining up with what the Bible says over and over and over. And history just goes to show, oh, yep, well, that's what the Bible says. And yep, this, this makes sense too. And you know, that little verse that you skipped over about, hey, swim through that David mentioned, it lines up historically with what is still there today and would have made perfect sense for how it would have happened. We don't, here's what we don't do as as Christians, we don't just say, I believe in Jesus, so I'm not going to look at anything else. Questions are okay, and they can be answered, and there will always be, and it will always take faith to believe in Jesus. It will, always, it will always be. There's no, there's no proof hiding somewhere or that could still be discovered or already was that would take away faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. It, it is going to take faith. That moment where you believe, God, I know that what you say is true. That moment where the light turns on inside and you're like, I need Jesus. I've made a mess. I want to be forgiven. I want to be set free. Maybe it's because you see how He works in somebody else's life and you see the transformation in them that you know isn't possible, but it's possible because they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. There is that moment. It will take faith. I guarantee it. And I'm not going to try to, through the series, prove to you that this is true so that then and only then can you believe. No, it will always take faith, but it's fun to look and to see and to watch history confirm what the Bible says, to watch science catch up to what the Bible's been saying for years, and to watch and see how prophecy in the Bible, things that were written thousands of years ago, came true and are still yet coming true, and watch prophecy show the Bible to not just be true, but to be divinely inspired. It's fun to see. Another thing that I Think is really fun when it comes to this is language. So linguistics are now saying, and they have been for a while, I say now because I don't really study linguistics a lot. Um, what do you call somebody who can speak two languages? Bilingual? And what do you call somebody who can speak three languages, trilingual, and what do you call somebody who can speak one language American? And that's me. <laughs> Okay, I am not a linguistics, I do not know all of that, even though I lived in Mexico for several years when I was a kid. But here's what they're looking at and saying right now, is that there is something that they call a proto-language. That there is evidence as you look and as they study the different languages that we currently have and trace them back to where they have come from, there's like all of these come from one language. There's a proto-language, and they, and they say, it doesn't exist anymore, and you can go online and you can find places where, where people are like, oh, I'll read what they believe is this reconstructed language, and then, then they'll try to talk in it, and you're like, I can't understand half the other languages, any of the other languages besides English anyways. But, uh, but they'll, read, they'll read, they'll talk in it. And I just think, oh, that's funny. You think that science is now proving and that you can trace where these languages and how they've progressed and where they've come from to one original language. Well, Genesis 11 says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. I'm like, that's, that's great that you figured that out too. <laughs> it is fun. And Then Genesis 11, it says, well, then how would all of this have happened? Genesis 11 verse 7 says, come, let us go down and confuse their languages So they they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. It's the Tower of Babel. God said, go and fill the earth. And man said, we're going to stay, and we're going to build a monument. And God's like, no, 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 you need to go, subdue, and fill. And they're like, no, we're going to make a name for ourselves, and we're going to stay here, and we're going to do our own thing. And God came down and said, no, this is how you act with one language. You guys think this is all about you? It's not so watch what I'm going to do. And he scattered the, scattered the peoples of the world by confusing their language. It's like, yeah, I believe that too. But I knew that ever since I was a little kid with the flannel graph in like preschool. They're like, hey guys, this is what happened. I'm like, oh, okay. Because it's in the Bible. It's already there. We see these things over and over and over. And again, there's nothing that I am waiting for, that will ultimately prove a book that really does a lot when it comes to just looking at Jesus' death and resurrection and the plausibility of what happened, the account that we have in the Bible, and how medically accurate the case for Easter, if you're looking for something just on that one, on that one part. As I read through the book, and it's really a man's journey who went to prove that Jesus didn't die on the cross, and yet as he talked to people and interviewed them and asked them questions about the truth and the possibility of what the Bible says happened and how it happened, he ended up becoming a Christian. But as I read the book, I'm like, you still took a step of faith. Yes, you see how it lined up and how... how it is medically possible for someone to sweat blood, and you see what happened, and, and you see that this is what it would have been, and, and you look at, through history to kind of see how this is, and, and, and honestly, historical fact is kind of like an oxymoron. It's like, how do you have it as historical fact? We argue over things that happened last week. Some of you are like, Biden is not my president. He did not get elected, and so you are like, well, yes, he did. And this, We argue over historical fact. We don't, there's so much we do not know from thousands of years ago. that this, There will never be that point that you do not have to have faith. But it is amazing to watch and see that a book that was written thousands of years ago by dozens of authors, multiple continents, all lines up, that it's true. And I'm super excited to get to the prophecy part because that's what shows that it is divine that the things that were written about thousands of years before, some have come true and some are still coming true. But we don't have to be afraid of questions. We can find answers. We can look. God doesn't shy away from them, that we don't have to just close our eyes and look, well, I'll just believe it because I believe it and I don't want to hear anything that comes against it. No. I know because of what God's done for me and in me but I trust the Bible because over and over it proves itself right history proves it right science is still catching up with the things that it says over and over and over but the most important thing to remember that the Bible says is this for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life That Jesus came, that he died, so that you could be set free. That you and I, we make mistakes, we've made mistakes. I'm probably making a mistake. But that Jesus said, I'll go, and I'll pay the price that they can, so that you and I could be free. The Bible teaches that sin is what separated you and I from God. Sin is just falling short of the mark. Our idea of good isn't even good enough for God. God he sent his son to pay the price so that we could be free, that you and I, we were created in the image and likeness of God. You're not an accident, and that God has a plan and purpose for you, for you. The Bible says he knows the hairs on your head, not just how many, he has them numbered. Not just how many. Jeremiah 2911 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Which is one of the reasons that every single month we do this thing that we call growth track. Because you're not just sitting here waiting until Jesus comes, trying to build your sandcastle before the wave of death comes and knocks it all down. But God wants to use you today. You need to know what your gifts and talents are and begin to use them to make a difference and change this world. So every month we have something that goes on. It's a four-week class. It starts the first Sunday of every month during the sec- right after that second song. Xavier dismisses growth track. And anybody who wants, you don't have to sign up, but you head out and you go and you begin to learn about God, who He is, because that's the number one need every single one of us has. But after that, let's begin to know what we're here for and make a difference in this world. But number one, is we need Jesus. So would you please, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here today, I don't want to assume that just because you came, because you're in here, because you're listening, because you're watching, that you know where you stand with God. You can know. You might be, that. that's that's great, I'd love to know. I mean, I'd guess, I'd like to know, I'd like to be forgiven. No, Jesus made a way. He said, not you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again you will be saved he'll be your substitute he loves you he knows everything you've done wrong but he made a way for you to be forgiven if you're here and you say today I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt I want to know where I stand with God I want to be forgiven I want to be set free or maybe you say today's the day I'm coming back I walked away from him but I'm declaring I'm his again if you're either of those I'd love the honor of praying with you right in your seat And when we say amen, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you stand with God and begin to walk out the plan and purpose that God has for you. If that's you, then get ready. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up high all the way right now, all the way up. Thank you, thank you. And say, today is my day. I'm going to give my life to Him. All right, hands down. And everybody, let's all pray this out loud with those that raise their hands, whether you're watching online. Or in this room, let's just say this all out loud together. Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for shedding your blood, for dying on the cross, and rising again for me. Forgive me and make me new. I want to serve you. From today on, this is it. I'm yours.